The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm
I have from the time I was a child tried to understand the complexity of life. What's it all about? I was raised as a farm boy, dressed in bib overhauls, went to a sophisticated high school, a boarding school, left the farm, left my parents at the age of 13 and never essentially returned. And then college, and then graduate school, and then straight into pastoral ministry. And now for over 50 years, I've pastored. And I'm still struggling to understand this world and what's happening and why it's happening. Oh, I can give you quick answers, but I mean, really, what's this all about? How do we face it? How do we deal with it? As I was in college, the New Yorker magazine was kind of popular with a lot of people. And in it, there were always the cartoons, the bearded faced man with the the Jesus robe on, with a sign saying, the end of the world has come. And everybody would laugh. Well, the world was all concerned about prosperity and business and how to be an entrepreneur and how to have a strategy of success. But today, it's just reversed. I looked at the news very quickly this morning and I was dismayed by the doomsayers Secular people, not even Christians, saying we've come to the end. We're going to see war and the crashing of our dollar and starvation and hunger. What do we hear the preachers saying? We're coming into a grand era of wonderful delight, prosperity. The church is on the right track. How'd that get reversed? You have... You have Jude coming. And Jude is a a book of the Bible aimed like an arrow at the heart of the modern American church. I want to give you today three historic examples of divine judgment. And what I want you to see is that there is no privileged relationship with God that secures man or angels from the consequence of of their deliberate rebellion and sin and continuing to walk therein. There is no special relationship that can save you from the judgment to come. A part of what the church has done is they've come up with some clever theological designs that say, no, no, no. We have a very special place And God's going to save us all. We're his kids. We're headed for good times. No, we're not. We're headed for strict divine judgment, even as these three historic examples that I'm going to share with you out of the book of Jude. Let's begin Jude 1. There's only one chapter, verse 5. Now, I want you to recall, Jude says. I want you to remember. The 
the Lord having saved a people out of the land of Egypt. He brought the the children of Israel with a mighty hand. Nowhere in any part of American or world history do we find a God acting as our God acted with the Egyptians. He literally took a people treating Egypt like a womb. He drew that baby out of that womb and set them on their feet and put them in a place where he could woo them where he could love them. He brought them out of the land of Egypt with incredible miracles, with power. Imagine coming to that Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming behind you. You are certain you are going to die. And Moses says, no, no. The Lord will deliver us. And you see the dark cloud come down between you and the Egyptians. A cloud of dark night. And then you see Moses raise his rod, his staff, God's staff. And the waters part. Who's ever seen anything like that? And they cross this sea on dry land. They go into the wilderness. They're certain they're going to die. But God gives them manna. Then he gives them the Sabbath day because he wants to fellowship with them. He's restoring one day a week of fellowship with himself. They're thirsty. Not to worry. He opens a rock, a huge rock, and out of it flows fresh, clean water for a million people. And yet they would not believe in him. They would not turn from wickedness. Every chance they got, they went after sexual impurity. They went after worshiping the Baal or the the money god. Their hearts were evil. And so he he finally said, okay, you don't want to go into the promised land as my children turn around and go back in the wilderness. And every man over the age of 20 will die in that wilderness before I bring your children into the promised land. Divine judgment of death. Now... Part of what I've had to realize is I have sorted out what is life essentially all about. It's come down for me to two words, life or death, light or darkness. I want to be very clear with you. I've been mixed up about that many times in my life, and I've chosen the darkness. I will no longer choose the darkness in any way. I choose light I choose life. I feel very, very sorrowful for those men and women who choose to support the death of babies. I feel very sorrowful for those men and women in elite positions of power and money who have chosen genocide for America. My heart grieves for them, for they will face the fire of hell. There will be a reward for the purveyors of genocide in the world. God hates murder. He hates genocide. We go to the second example. It's found in verse 6 of Jude. And so the angels, not having kept their own dominion, but having abandoned their own position, what was their position? They were watchers. 
They were emissaries of the living God to help the human race on the road to salvation. But instead of helping them, they gave them sophisticated technological information. They gave all kinds of wickedness to man. But these divine beings called angels, he put them into prison. It says he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment with respect to the great day, the final judgment. Now, just think for a moment. These divine beings were not offered the opportunity to repent. They knew exactly what they were doing. They walked in with full knowledge that they were in rebellion against God, that they were in the process of trying to destroy and take control of the human race because they were stronger. They were bullies. The devil is a bully. The personification of utter evil and darkness. They have been in prison now for more than 4,000 years, waiting for the great day, the final day when God settles all the debts when he settles all the judgments and he brings the execution, the fire of hell to these beings. Can you imagine being in prison for 4,000? How do we even wrap our head around that? What Jude is trying to say is, look, there's no special relationship for these angels. There's no relationship that's special for the children of Israel who rejected the holy God of heaven and died in the wilderness. And then he comes to verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities surrounding them, having indulged in immorality and having gone after different flesh, homosexuality, In a similar manner to these angels, they lie before all as an example, undergoing the penalty of eternal fire. Look, hear what I'm saying, please. It is about life and death. That's what it's about. All of life is about life and death. It's about choices and decisions that you make. And if you have the wrong information, if you have the wrong theology, if you have the wrong teaching, it can convince you to go the way of darkness, believing it's the way of light. So Sodom and Gomorrah, And the cities surrounding them, it wasn't just two cities. It was the whole plain, the whole valley. They now lie in prison, conscious, knowing that they will finally face the great day of God's wrath. And they will be cast into hell. So there is no, there's no special place. You don't have a special place because you say, Jesus is my Lord. If you continue to walk in your sin, you have no special place. And Jesus is not your Lord. The third chapter of 1 John and many other places. Yet in the same way, these dreaming ones, on the one hand, they also defile the flesh. On the other, they reject lordship and they blaspheme glories. Now, if you'll come with me to verse 11. Woe to them. 
woe to them. That means great pain and anguish is coming to them. Unutterable pain is coming to them. And death is coming to them. For they went in the way of Cain and rushed to the delusion of Balaam for gain and perished in the rebellion of Korah. All right. I want to take a few minutes and I want to review with you what was the way of Cain. Now, I'm going to be very frank with you. The church in America has taken the way of Cain. Let me share with you the way of Cain. In chapter 4, the book of Genesis, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Now we know that Cain, being born from Adam and Eve, will have the twisted, defiled nature of a sinner man. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Cain, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. That word for anger means heated, hot. Now, we've often asked the question, what was the difference between these two gifts? Obviously, We say, from our position today, Cain should have gone to Abel and gotten a lamb and offered a lamb. That's not what the scriptures say. If you look at the Hebrew words, which do not show forth in the English, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. It was a very select and small offering that he brought before the Lord. It was not a generous offering. It was not his best. It was a very small, stingy offering he brought to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, And that the words for fat portions, the very best, generous, given with joy. So we have Cain coming, stingy, a very small portion. And we have his brother, Abel, coming with a large offering with the very best. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was heated up. He was hot. He was angry. And his face was downcast. He was mad. Now, I want you to see something that is so fascinating to me. The Lord begins to speak personally, one-on-one with Cain. Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So God, right at the beginning, his expectation is that the human person will overcome their sin. That's God's expectation. If you do what is right, 
the expectation he can do what is right. Will you not be accepted? Yes. If you do what is right before God, you will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. This is after the fall of Adam and Eve. And God is saying, sin is like a lion. And it's crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. You must master it. Now Cain says to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him or shed his blood. The Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know. He lied. He knew. He knew exactly where his brother was. Am I my brother's keeper? You see Cain's attitude? I'm the man. I can do what I want to do. I can build what I want to build. I can go where I want to go. The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. The Lord is saying, look, because of what you have done, the consequence, the land will no longer produce a harvest for you. You cannot any longer earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. I am taking your job away from you. I am firing you. And you're going to be a restless wanderer on the earth. In other words, you're going to be a scavenger. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. Did God say you're going to be hidden from my presence? No. He's saying that. Why? He's ashamed. Now he's going to hide from God. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, No, not so. Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now Nod means a place of wandering. He no longer is anchored in the soil. He is cut free from the soil. He's a wanderer, a vagabond. East of Eden. East of mean Eden means a place of new beginnings. In other words, you're going to be a wanderer and you're always going to be trying something new. You're going to be trying over. You won't find a place of security. You're a wanderer. 
So what would you do? Now, it's obvious he has no special place in God's heart. He has separated himself from the God of heaven by being stingy, leading him to murder his brother, to be angry and bitter. And now watch what he does. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Some of you may wonder, where did he get his wife? Well, as time passed, these beings were almost perfect. They didn't have to worry about marriage in the family. Years have gone by. They've grown up. I don't know how old they are, but obviously they have been able to bear many children. They are populating the earth. But it's the next sentence that tells us everything. Cain was building a city. Cain was then building a city. So Cain sins against God, does not overcome his sin, and because he cannot overcome his sin, and he murders his brother in his rage and anger, he can't till the soil anymore. So what should he do? He builds a city. What's a city? A place of commerce, a place of business. He becomes a merchant. He buys and sells things. He makes deals. Now, what am I talking about when I say the church has followed in the way of Cain? When the church sold out to the devil in America. First, the church became very orthodox, became very dry. When I was a young man, the church was so dry. It'd been dry for quite a while. The Lord sent some revivals at the turn of the century. He tried to revive the church. And those people who entered into that revival time, I won't name them, but I could. They prostituted the gifts of the Spirit instead of using them to fulfill the gospel commission. They set themselves up with wonderful lifestyles, the lifestyles of the rich and the famous. They sinned against the Lord. And the Lord withdrew. Now he came for a short time during the the Jesus movement. And today the church is in the process of making a movie, romanticizing the Jesus movement. I'm not going to even go see it, and I urge you not to go see it. It will be a lie. I don't want some romanticized version of what Jesus Christ did through his Holy Spirit to try to turn a wicked nation away from its wickedness to holiness. I don't want to even look at that. I participated in that movement. I prayed, I preached, I street preached. I know what it was, and it was not romantic. It was people repenting of their sins and getting right with God. It was seeing the miraculous power of God move for the salvation of many. Many were swept into the kingdom of God. But then it all petered out. And as it petered out, it didn't become orthodox again. 
it moved into church growth. It moved into a business model for the church. The church rejected the Holy Spirit, tried to control the Holy Spirit, and he left. And the church being devoid of the presence of the Holy Spirit brought in the worldly music, brought in the entertainment. Pastors began to build a city, a church city. One pastor that I knew well built a church with a a Starbucks coffee set up right in the lobby of the church. Set up a kitchen and baked cookies and every other kind of thing so that when you came in, you got your Starbucks coffee and then you went over and you picked up your cookies or you picked up your whatever, muffins, or and you took them into the sanctuary and you enjoyed. And the pastor stood up and began to tell some jokes. Much like the Kennedy Center, where you go in and you you see the drama unfold and, and there's a, a few tears and there's a little laughter and it's entertainment. And then people walk out. Are they changed? No. No, they're not changed. And in the midst of all of that, the wicked theology that Jude has come to speak so forcibly against. I'm going to read that to you. To those who have, boy, ungodly men, that is men who do not have at the center of their hearts the will of God or the Holy Spirit. They are career men and they build a great church and build a great building. It's a city building. It's a city church. Remember, the ungodly crystal cathedral that Robert Schuller built. I sat in that church a number of times. To me, it wasn't a church. It wasn't a cathedral. It was a place of ungodliness where men were lifted up and praised and worshipped. Interviews with famous people and great rounds of applause for men, not for Jesus, for man. And when Robert Schuller was finished, his family began to take over. And they lost it. Why? Because they did not have the entrepreneurial business skill of a Robert Schuller. He was a businessman first and foremost. And not a good man. John Wayne, on his deathbed, called for Robert Schuller to come to his bedside. And he asked the question, How am I to be saved? And the answer he received from Robert Schuller was a lie. Oh, you're saved. You've accepted Jesus. Yes, you're saved. John Wayne went to his death, an unsaved man, because he never repented of his sins. He never got right with God. There's no special relationship with God just by saying, I accept Jesus. Accepting Jesus is not enough. There must be a heartfelt crucifixion of self, a total denial, a turning away, being made into a new creature. The old things are gone. It's new that has come. Listen. Ungodly men 
who are perverting the grace of our God into lustful indulgence. And they are denying the only sovereign God and our Lord Jesus Christ. How are they denying our our sovereign God and our Lord Jesus Christ? By claiming they have a special relationship with him because they have accepted Jesus Christ. But they have not been born again. They are filled with ungodliness. They are walking in the same way as Cain was. Cain had no hope. Cain did not receive the forgiveness of God. Cain died a reprobate, a reprobate, unsaved man. And yet today, the modern preachers in the American church teach that, oh, God loves you unconditionally. I heard a very popular and nationally known speaker just boldly say God has forgiven you for all of your past present and future sins as soon as you hear somebody say that know that man is a reprobate oh but pastor look at all the good he does look how big his church is that's not what God's concerned about Remember, Cain went out, and my guess is he was a a very successful entrepreneur. He raised a family. Look, I'll read it for you. Cain was building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. Enoch was born to Irad, and Irad was the father of Methushal. Methushal was the father. It goes right on through. And then Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. And Lamech wrote, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Utter wickedness. We're not headed into a time of peace and prosperity. We're entering into a time of fiery judgment from God upon this nation and upon this world. God is in the process of wrapping up this prison planet's wickedness. And he is going to bring the fire and the judgments in rapid succession upon this nation and the world. Manhattan will disappear. Millions are going to die. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has not been preached in America. It's been a false gospel that you can be a sinning Christian and still go to heaven. Pastor, why do you keep talking about this? Because there has to come a time when we begin to act upon what we know. I listened to this incredible prophecy. It was long. It was given in a church of of many, many people, a large church. This man was a servant of the Most High God, a true servant of the Most High God, and he gave a fiery prophet, a prophetic message about the destruction of Miami. L.A., San Francisco, and other, and other cities. He said they're going to burn. But periodically he would call the people to make commitment to Jesus, and there'd be a great hand clapping and shouting of hallelujah, hallelujah. 
I watched the whole thing. But I want to tell you, I wanted to weep after I watched it. It was in the Brownsville Assembly of God Church. A church that would later experience a move of God in revival. Today, that church is a very small congregation in a great big building. But what made me sad was that people responded to this powerful, prophetic message with clapping, shouts of hallelujah, but no cries of repentance. No tears. Instead, shouts as though they were righteous. When I know for a fact that many in that assembly were wicked, but there was no repentance. I go to the Kennedy Center, and if I were to go and watch one of their great dramas, There would be great hand clapping and shouting, loving what's being portrayed. And then everybody would walk out. They'd talk to each other. They'd have emotional responses to what they saw. But they'd go back home and be just the way they've always been. There would be no transformation. Many of you go and sit in the church on Sunday. And you leave and you're not changed. You've not repented. You've not turned back to God. You've not, you've not seen the great judgment that's coming upon you and upon your people and your nation. You've not repented before the fire of God begins to fall and consume, to burn up to ashes. You say, oh, pastor, that's not going to happen. We'll go look at the seventh seal of Revelation. It is going to happen. And we need to repent. And the words out of our mouth need to be matched by the actions. We need to act on what we say. And there needs to be no separation between what we say and what we do. We can overcome sin by the power of the blood of Jesus. We make him. We make him. Into a rubber nose. We can twist and turn him whichever way we want. We can make any interpretation that we choose that will, that will match the, the desire of the wicked heart of the unconverted man. Are you saying that a, a man is unconverted if he's still walking in his sin? Yes, that's what I'm saying. We've got to repent and get right with Jesus. This thing is almost over. You don't have much time. Any day now, the economy will collapse and the derivative market will overwhelm all of our banks. And there will no longer be a credit card that works. The money in the bank will disappear. You will lose it. Starvation will come. Weeping will come. Are you in a relationship with God, holy and righteous before him, that he will answer your prayers and hear your cries? Almighty God, I can't smooth this message down. Jude was exactly right. 
There are no privileged relationships with God that secures a man or an angel if he continues to walk in sin. But he is cast out and forever cast into fire. Lord, the Bible is full of these stories. These were just a few. And I pray now, Lord, that you will come and quicken the conscience of every man and woman who hears or who considers this message. Would you come in mighty power and fire, Lord God of heaven? I pray in your holy name. Amen. I believe that this message of righteousness and judgment needs to go out to all of America. If you believe that also, if you believe that revival means repentance and turning from our sin and not gold dust falling from the ceiling, then I ask, would you listen to the Holy Spirit and give as he calls you to give? National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If you've listened very long to this broadcast, you know I'm not going to change my message. The Lord has only given me one message. Call my people to repent and get ready to go to heaven. That's my message. Repent and be holy before our holy and righteous God. You can go to our webpage. You'll find this video and many others available. You can also give online at nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. We will proclaim this message as widely as the Lord sends us the resources to do so. God bless you, my brother, with the gift of repentance. God bless you, my sister. Cry out to God, and he will hear you. If you're sick, cry out to the Lord, and he will heal you. If you're broken, if you need help, cry out to God. He will help you. He is our Father who is in heaven. He loves us. To keep you from falling and to Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He loves you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. For the presence of His glory.